Mark 1, 14 to 15 in the ESV, English Standard Version. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And I didn't print it out, but in Mark 3, John the Baptist had the same exact message before Jesus arrived, and that was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The next passage, Matthew 4:23 in the ESV, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And if you have a pen or a pencil or something to write with or a highlighter, those words, the gospel of the kingdom, are worth underscoring. And then we have the next verse, Acts 28, 30 to 31 in the NIV. He, meaning Paul, proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And then 2 Corinthians 6, 17 to 18 in the New American Standard. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch that which is unclean, and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. The Gospel of the Kingdom. This afternoon, I talked to you about the Lord's desire and longing to have a people that are completely His. And a people who go on with Him wherever He goes. And we talked about youthful enthusiasm. We talked about the fact that so many Christians start out well, strong, fast on the track, and then suddenly disappear. Even people whom God has used mightily, men whom God has used powerfully, so often later on in their lives disappear. And so often you trace back to the point where they walked off the track and you find that it was something that they took offense to. Beyond not being able to survive failure or dry spells or a God who will not meet their expectations. Something offended them or they took offense. I've watched young brothers sold out to the Lord, but when someone corrected them, even corrected them in a loving way, they packed their bags and they left and they left the Lord and went back into the world. I've watched people serve divorce papers to Jesus Christ because a leader they were following either stopped following the Lord or pulled a stunt like Peter did. Imagine, six months from now, you turn on the television and you discover that Francois and Zach were arrested for robbing a bank. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. I tried to keep the analogy fairly general, but use your imagination. Maybe it was something worse. 
Maybe it was something scandalous. Would you still keep following Jesus Christ with a passionate heart? Would you still keep walking with Him? Some Christians, they're so devastated by that that they fold the tent and leave. And again, we often are not really in touch with our deepest motives until something happens that we don't expect. And I am sitting here in March 2017. I think it's significant that it's the spring. I think it's actually the beginning of spring. To open up a new chapter in your life with the Lord. To open up a new avenue for the Lord to deal with you in areas that you may not have ever considered. But that He would have a free way in all of us. And in order for that to happen, He must have the way free. And that's what I'm doing here. That's why I'm sitting in this chair. I turn down most of the invitations I get to speak. Most of the places I speak are conferences. But I would much rather speak to a group of 25 believers in a living room than 50,000 people in a stadium who are monumentally disinterested in the deeper things of God. I'd much rather speak to you all who have hearts for the Lord and whom I believe the Holy Spirit really wants to do a deep work in. Beginning this week, we will only make a beginning. The gospel that was preached in the first century almost doesn't exist on the planet today. The gospel of the kingdom that we see John the Baptist preach, Jesus preach, Paul preach, and Peter preach is virtually non-existent. Virtually. In this hour. But I believe the Lord is restoring it. And usually when we hear parts of it, today I mean, it's usually mixed with legalism and guilt and condemnation. And the result is, is that people who hear parts of it, when it's enmeshed in guilt, condemnation, duty, obligation, God's people respond to it just that way, out of guilt, obligation, duty, and that never lasts. So may the Holy Spirit guide my words and uncork part of the gospel of the kingdom. I say part because there's a lot more to it, but I'm going to try to give you a shortened version of it. And it started with John the Baptist, who was a walking revolution from the way he dressed to his life to his message. And to bring the dramatic force of his message home to all of us, I'm going to contemporize it. What would the gospel that John preached, which was the gospel of the kingdom, he was the first one to bring it, what would it sound like today in 21st century America? So I'm going to take a stab at this. If John were here today, we'd have to go out to some wilderness to hear him speak, first of all because he would not be in the cities of the suburbs. We'd have to go to some remote place 
off in the distant woods of Alabama, for example. You had to go to the desert to hear John. You had to go to the wilderness. He did not come to you, you went to him. I want you to get a picture of what John the Baptist looked like. He never cut his hair from the womb. So I'd imagine his hair was down to his waist, I would guess. And he never cut his beard. So I'd imagine his beard was probably down to here maybe, his chest. He wore a, a robe made of camel's hair. The only thing he owned was probably a staff and some sandals and his diet. Anybody know what his diet was? Locusts and honey. Locusts and wild honey. And what I'm going to say about that is that John's message was illustrated by the way he looked. He was a walking insurgent to the present order of things. And so if he were here in 21st century America, this is what his message would have sounded like. He would have said something like this. The United States of America is not in the hands of God. And you have pledged your allegiance to the United States of America. The economic system is not in the hands of God. The national system is not in the hands of God. The educational system is not in the hands of God. The entertainment system is not in the hands of God. The religious system is not in the hands of God. And God has laid the axe to the root of all of those systems because all of those systems are part of the world system. And it is not in the hands of God. And the axe is laid to the root and God is going to begin swinging hard. And this whole present order is going to come toppling down. And God is going to bring a new nation that will touch the earth. And it will break into the earth this new nation, this new empire. And eventually it will topple and crumble all other nations. And the king of the new nation will be the son of Almighty God himself. And this new nation is at hand. It's coming here soon. And if you want to be part of this new nation, come over here into the water, in the Jordan, get baptized. And by doing that, you are renouncing and severing all your ties to the present world system. You are pulling out of the entire world system and all the systems in it. And either stay here in the desert with me until the king of this new nation comes, or if you can't stay in the desert with me, go back to your home, go back to your job, but stay unattached and wait for the new nation to touch this earth. The fact that John 
lived in the wilderness showed that he was unattached to anything material in this world. The fact that he ate locusts and wild honey demonstrated that he was not materialistic. The fact that he wore camel's hair showed that he defied religious tradition because camels were unclean animals. And the fact that he didn't cut his hair or his beard showed that he even would not be controlled by human custom. I mean, this man was a walking revolution. And his message was so powerful, so total, and so complete. Come out, repent, recant. Have nothing to do with this present world system because it's doomed and the axe is laid to the root. But wait for the new nation to come and be part of it. It's an incredible message. And people were astonished when they heard John. And then the king arrived. Jesus of Nazareth penetrated this earth and he came on the scene. And his ministry started with him preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And his message was identical to John's. Only he added one word to it, and it was, come follow me. And he basically said, the kingdom of God is breaking into the planet right now. The world system and all the systems that are part of it are in the hands of the devil. And he did say that. Prince of this world. But I am inaugurating a new nation, a new kingdom, and it will never end. And eventually, it will topple and crumble all the other nations, all the other kingdoms. They're doomed. Come out of them and follow me. And sisters and brothers, his message was so total and so utter that when people followed Jesus Christ in that day, it was sort of like joining ISIS or Al-Qaeda in our time. To be a Christian in the first century was a dangerous thing. You were viewed as a revolutionary, as countercultural. And when Paul brought this message of the kingdom, and he brought the same message, and he would go into the Gentile world and speak in the marketplaces, he was essentially saying, listen, Caesar is finished. There is a new king on the throne. And he's a Jew. And he died a horrible, hideous death. But then again, he rose again from the dead. And there is a new emperor. And he is this world's true Lord. And he is now starting his kingdom, which is invisible. But it has tangible manifestations come out of the old world and come into the new kingdom and follow him and trust in him and bow the knee to him. His name is Jesus of Nazareth and he is the world's true Lord. That's what the gospel message was in the first century. And you know what happened when a person heard that message and they agreed with it and they submitted to it and they obeyed it? Here's what they said. I... A Roman citizen, I a woman, I a man, 
I am now going to die and sever all ties to this world system. And the, the Christians would take them to water somewhere. And they would put them under the water. And that was their burial. And they died to everything attached to the old order. They died. They, in effect, renounced everything that tied them to the world system. They were no longer part of the old empire. But the funny thing is, and the amazing thing is, that those who follow Jesus Christ have a tendency to rise again from the dead. And so that was their burial, but when they came out of that water up, emerging from the earth was a new creation, was a citizen of a new kingdom, part of a new humanity, but no longer pledged allegiance to the flags of this world, but their only allegiance was to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the name of that new nation is the kingdom of God. And in Matthew, it's called the kingdom of heaven. Emphasizing where it comes from. It's the same thing. And when Jesus rose again from the dead, the new nation got a new name. The Ecclesia of God. And the early Christians were viewed with such disdain and fear not dissimilar to the way we look at people who are part of ISIS and Al-Qaeda and we say they are radical. They've been radicalized. Well, sisters and brothers, the first century gospel of the kingdom, that was the true radicalization. And that's how utter their commitment was. And they were willing to die for their Lord. And many of them did in the first century. And yet today, we've lost that gospel. It's so easy to become a Christian today. And when people get baptized, the majority of them have no idea even what they're doing. It was a powerful thing. Because it took your whole life. And you understood that this meant death to the old and life to the new. And you lived in that new kingdom as if it were here and had taken over the whole world. And that's why when people saw the early Christians, they couldn't believe the way they lived. These were people who were living in the presence of the future. They were living as if Jesus of Nazareth, who was no longer physically on the planet in a seeable form, they were living as if he was the true Lord of the world. And they were living as if he was the new king. And they were totally and utterly submitted to him. Now, sisters and brothers, if we had that gospel on the planet, it would solve so many problems. I know I never heard that gospel. The gospel I heard was, well, it was different phases. It was, you're going to hell, believe in Jesus, say this prayer, and you'll go to heaven. And then after that, okay, great, by grace I'm saved. And thank God there is grace and there's forgiveness of sins. It's all part of it. But it didn't have that bleeding edge. It didn't have that power. It didn't have that total, absolute abandonment to this person who is going to take over this entire world. 
and it's already here. It's already broken into it. The kingdom of God is already, but it's not yet. It's present, but it's also future. And the early Christians lived as if it was here right now. And they enjoyed, they tasted the power of the age to come. And they lived that way. And so when people saw this group of people, they couldn't believe how they loved one another. They weren't afraid of death. They were living by another life, a life from the throne. And it would solve so many problems. The other part of the gospel I heard was, you know, after I received Jesus in my heart, I'm saved, I go into heaven. Now I can, you know, basically try to be a good Christian and try to do this and try to do that and not do this and not do that. That I better do certain things or else God's going to be angry with me. And then you live under guilt and condemnation. That is so far from the gospel of the kingdom. Sisters and brothers, I'll say it again, we're living in, in a time of an insurgence. This gospel is being recovered. And I would just say this, you're hearing a part of it right now. Praise the Lord. And you can respond to it. And it's total and it's complete. And the Lord wants a people that are all his own. Fully and completely his. And I'm going to make this very practical because when we come into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ and we let him enter into the deeper parts of our being and we submit to his full and complete lordship, there are certain things we have to take care of. They're part of closing the door to the old kingdom that we've come out of and allowing the Lord to have a free way in our life. So I'm going to be very practical. These are things I believe the Lord wants us to deal with, all of us, every single one of us in this room. And there's six of them. And I want you to write them down because I don't want this to just sit in your notebook as a memory, but I want you to go to work on these six areas tonight before you go to sleep, to think about them, to ask the Lord to shine His light in your heart, and tomorrow morning when you get up in the morning to look at them again. And I want us to make a beginning tonight. So I'm going to go through them one at a time. And there's a lot more I can say about each of them, but I'm just going to be brief. I think you'll get the point. And let me just say this. The Holy Spirit is going to have to bring the rest of this message. Because if he does not, and I believe he will, then I will have become a legalist, or we all have become legalists. One of the most outstanding traits of legalism is the putting on others, one's own personal convictions. So if I believe that it is a sin to play guitar, that's okay if I believe that for myself. Maybe I have a weak conscience. Maybe I used to be a rock musician and for me to go near a guitar is to go back to that old life. That's okay if that's just between me and the Lord. But if I put that on you and I say, it's a sin for you to pick up a guitar. I have become a legalist. 
and it's in the drinking water of modern Christianity today, particularly among preachers and teachers. They will put their own personal standards and convictions on you and expect you to follow them and adopt them. Sisters and brothers, I'm going to speak to you by way of general principle. The Holy Spirit's job is to bring the specifics to your own heart. And I believe, because I know from following the Lord as long as I have, if you have an open heart to Jesus Christ, He will shine His light and He will show you. You do not need a man or woman to point it out. You don't need a human being to tell you, this is right, this is wrong. Another thing about legalists is that the legalistic mentality is to keep you dependent on a human being, always going back to them and saying, is this right, is this wrong, is this right, is this wrong? And they're there to say, no, that's wrong, don't do that, yes, that's okay, don't do this, don't do this. No human being should have that role. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, okay, when it comes to these specifics. So I'm going to give you the general sketch. But sisters and brothers, if we're going to go on with Jesus Christ, we have to deal practically with certain things that belong to the old kingdom and shut the door on them once and for all. Because if we do not, we will only get so far in the Lord's kingdom. We will only get so far in following the Lord and then there's a barrier and we can't get any further. Number one, the termination of that which is immoral. The termination of that which is immoral. Now, Paul had to deal with this in all the Gentile churches because immorality was everywhere in the Gentile world. Particularly sexual immorality. It was in the drinking water. And he had to deal with it in all the churches. <coughs> and he said some very strong words in 1 Corinthians 6 and in Ephesians 5 and Galatians. But basically he said that those who practice, those who continue immorality will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are strong words, sober words. If we will go on with the Lord, we must terminate immorality if we're involved in it. Now, the good news is the Holy Spirit will give you the power to terminate it in your life if you're willing. Number one. Number two, if there has been immorality, there is grace in the blood of Christ to cleanse, to cover, and to remove. So it's not an issue. If there's anything in our past, your past, that has to do with immorality, it's gone. It's over. We're talking about present and future. The termination of that which is immoral. Secondly, the ending of that which is improper. The ending of that which is improper. I am opening up an avenue for you to deal with the Lord on some very practical things. That's all I'm doing. The ending of that which is improper. What's improper? Well, there are improper relationships. What are those relationships, Frank? That's the Holy Spirit's job to show you. But if you read 2 Corinthians, he talks about do not be unequally yoked 
with unbelievers. What does light have to do with darkness? Now you apply that the way the Holy Spirit applies it, but there are improper relationships, and sometimes those relationships, well, oftentimes if there is an improper relationship, the Lord, to go on with Him, to be His own fully and completely and practically, those relationships must come to an end. And I know that's costly. All of this is costly. I've had to end relationships in my life, in my youth, because they were improper. And I knew I couldn't go on with the Lord unless I severed the relationship. And I'm not just talking about romantic relationships. There's business relationships. There's friendships. There are improper relationships. Lord, shine your light. Show me, am I in an improper relationship? There are improper ways to talk. There are improper ways to dress. I'm not going to tell you what they are. I will not raise one rule among you. But if you go to the Lord, He will show you. He may show it all to you tonight. He may show it to you tomorrow morning. It may take weeks for Him to show you. But if you're willing to say, Lord, I don't want to have anything improper in my life. I'm willing to end it and close the door in that old kingdom because I'm not part of it anymore. He will show you. And He will empower you. And He will even give you wisdom on how to do it. Alright, three. The restitution of that which is stolen. The restitution of that which is stolen. I remember having an item that knew it would cost only $7. Used, probably worth a dollar. But I had it in my home. I borrowed it from a friend. And just to make this clear, if you borrow something and you don't give it back, that is stealing. <laughs> if I lend you a book and I say, I'm lending it to you and you don't give it back to me, well, you basically, you don't own it, right? So that was on my conscience. And I, I had to work overboard to an overtime and try to find all these ingenious ways to get it back to this person because they moved. But I didn't want it on my conscience. You remember Zacchaeus? When he met Jesus Christ, he returned everything he had stolen fourfold. Sisters and brothers, if you have a book you borrowed, if you have something that's not yours, ask the Lord about it to remind you what it is. And just close the door on that thing and restore it. Sometimes you can't restore it. The person's long gone, but maybe you can get their address and write them a letter. I'm following the Lord Jesus now, and I don't want this on my conscience, and I'm sorry I took this or whatever. However the Lord leads you. But let us not have anything that does not belong to us. Let us clear that up. So the restitution of that which is stolen. All right. Four. The elimination of that which is unclean. The elimination of that which is unclean. The elimination of that which is unclean. Now, sisters and brothers, I'm not going to get specific, but I will just tell you this. There are unclean movies, there are unclean magazines, there are unclean objects, there are unclean games, there are unclean places. Ask the Lord, He'll show you what's unclean. If something is unclean that is in your possession, it should not be sold 
or given away, it should be destroyed. For unclean things have the touch of the demonic on them. I once had a book. I didn't know it was unclean. But there was some weird things happening in my house with my family. Weird stuff. Stuff that was supernatural and you couldn't explain it. And we prayed and it continued. And I remember the light bulb went on. It was this book. I was alerted to the author of this book. He put something in it that was of the occult. I didn't know it and you couldn't find it. It was hidden. And I, I took the book and I destroyed it and all of that stuff stopped. We have uh, an example in the book of Acts. It's in Acts 19 in the city of Ephesus. Paul Tarsus was there for a long time and he preached the gospel of the kingdom, this uncompromising, absolute, total gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And those people came to the Lord and in their repenting and in their turning away from the old kingdom and severing ties, they brought their magic scrolls and occult books and they had a big bonfire. They didn't sell them. They could have gotten a lot of money for them. They burned them. And Luke, who wrote Acts, gives us the figure. 50,000 drachma. 50,000 silver coins. And when you add that up, it comes out to be, in our time, in our day, if this was happening here, if what they did, they burned over $7 million worth of books. They destroyed it. Sisters and brothers, eliminate that which is unclean. If you wish to go on with the Lord. Now, if this is not in your heart to do, it's not in your heart to do. This is only to those who have ears to hear and hearts to follow. I'm not putting anything on anybody. Number five. The destruction of that which is idolatrous. The destruction of that which is idolatrous. To destroy idols. Now, in the first century, Paul dealt with immorality, but he also dealt with idolatry. It was big in the Gentile world. And most of the churches he planted were full of Gentiles. So they had to deal with their past. And he writes about idols. And uh, John dealt with this too. John the Apostle, who wrote about it. It's easy to identify an idol in the first century. They literally had objects that they worshipped. But in 21st century America, it's not so easy to spot because we individuals, human beings, we worship people, pleasure, power, possessions. I once had a collection of an item it was not an unclean item. It was not an immoral item, but it was something that was an idol in my heart when I was a, a teenager, actually. And the Lord put his finger on it because I loved this collection so much. It competed 
with the Lord. And I got rid of it. Some 30 years later, I repurchased that collection. Same thing. Because it no longer had a hold on me. I own it now. I could take it or leave it. I'll live without it. No longer an idol. Sisters and brothers, let the Lord deal with you in this area. We erect idols any time we lose sight of the beauty and the glory and the splendor and the majesty of Jesus Christ. We are now open to worship, to give our allegiance, to give our love to something in the created order. I'll let you in on a little secret that took me many years to discover. True beauty, the real beauty, is in God. He is the essence of real beauty. And to put a finer point on it, the quintessential beauty, the essence of beauty is Christ. He is that which is the definition of beautiful. And if our eyes are open to see Him, His beauty is so arresting and it's so eternal and it's so glorious that He reveals Himself to us as we allow Him to and as we go on with Him in more beautiful ways that we're more captivated by Him and it never ends, where physical beauty will always fade and our attraction to the beauty will eventually wear out. You can take the most beautiful painting and you look at it long enough and guess what? You're going to be tired of it. You can take the most beautiful piece of music and you are riveted by it for weeks, but eventually it's going to grow old. You take the most beautiful human being in your eyes and you look at them enough. Or maybe you marry them. Or you hang out with them long enough and they're not going to be as riveting in your eyes. And of course, the beauty is going to fade anyhow, right? All created beauty, listen to this, all created beauty is a pale reflection of the beauty of Christ. What you're really being attracted to, and you don't know this, you're really being attracted to a reflection of the Lord himself. Well, Frank, I'm a guy and I'm attracted to beautiful women. Well, well, guess what? That beautiful woman, the woman who's beautiful in your eyes, is a reflection of the bride of Christ, who is a reflection of Jesus Christ. The woman is the glory or the reflection of the man. So you're still being attracted to Christ in that form. In the form of the one who came out of his side. Do you understand what I'm saying? So whenever you're attracted to something and your heart, because we all love beauty, we're all attracted to it, whether it's you know a beautiful piece of music, a beautiful piece of art, a beautiful human being, a beautiful piece of literature. Just remember, this is a reflection of Christ. I'm really being attracted to the Lord. And that's what I'm really seeing here. This is a pale, dim image. Remember that. I will help you. So, 
The destruction of idols. You sever yourself from the idol. You get rid of it. Let the Lord, let the Holy Spirit show you how this applies in your life. And then finally, this will be a bomb, but I will drop. This will make and break many of you in this room now or in the future in respect to going on with the Lord. The breaking of that which is addictive. The breaking of that which is addictive. I am told that the most addictive thing on the planet is heroin. It's part of the opiates. It's a refined form of, a, of an opiate. And all the opiates are addictive. Highly addictive. There are all sorts of addictions. I don't presume to know them all, and I won't sit here and name them all, but anything that has a hold on you that you cannot break. And, you know, some people are in denial. The great way to shatter denial is just to say, all right, well, stop it for two months. And if you can do that, well, then you're not addicted to it. Or a month. <laughs> I'll give a month. Sisters and brothers, I will make two points about this, and I don't want anybody to take condemnation on anything that I'm saying here. The two things I want you to know is, number one, I have never seen a believer go on with the Lord into the depths and the heights of His kingdom and keep an addiction at the same time. They always hit a ceiling. And for some people they become spiritually bored. They can even be involved in ministry and it's boring to them. And it's because they have not broken an addiction. And in fact, many times the addiction becomes the idol. That's one. If you and I will go on with Jesus Christ, we must declare war on any addiction that has us. The second thing I want to say, which is good news, is that any addiction can be broken. Any addiction can be broken. Now, I'm going to tell you how to break virtually any addiction, and I would just dare say, the Lord cover me here if I'm not right, but I really believe this, that any addiction can be broken by taking certain steps and it's painful but it can be done and I have watched it in people's lives break all sorts of addictions what is it Frank it involves fasting and it involves some other things if you write down in your notes my website frankviola.org forward slash addictions which is easier to remember. Just go to my website, frankviola.org. That's my blog and forward slash addictions. You'll see the whole thing. And I have watched it break addictions in people. I have also watched them, some, go back to the addiction because they didn't close certain doors that should have been closed. And so they allowed the addiction to come right back. But you can always do this again. Remember, we are not 
here to vow to be perfect. That's not going to happen. I told you in the beginning we're going to fail at this, but you know what? If you survive failure, you'll know the Lord's victory. And as one person once said, when you're going through hell, keep going. <laughs> Sisters and brothers, you can be free from any addiction. You can be. Even heroin can be broken. Addiction to heroin. And virtually nothing trumps that. So I've given you six things. I want to say that there is always a cost to following Jesus Christ fully and completely. Jesus himself said it. He said it in Luke 14. Count the cost. Because it's going to cost you something to come into my new nation. And the cost has to do with closing the door and severing the ties of the old nation. Which you don't want to have anything to do with because it's coming down. And I will say this probably tomorrow, but I'll say it now. You will never be fulfilled in your life. You'll never find the true joy that God has for you until you give Him everything. And let Him deal with you. And all I'm doing is opening a door an avenue for you to deal with the Lord. I remember clearly once I preached the gospel of the kingdom to a group of, I think it was about 40 brothers and sisters. They all were in their either late 20s or early to mid 30s. And I think we had one couple there that was in their 50s. And I preached the gospel of the kingdom the first time I'd ever preached it. And I unveiled the gospel of the kingdom. And what was so fascinating is that at the end of that meeting, every single one of those brothers and sisters, with the exception of two, said, I want to get rebaptized. Because when I was baptized, whenever it was, I had no idea what I was doing. I certainly was not being buried. And so they set up a meeting where the brothers got together and they all went out into the ocean. I live in Florida. And they had this corporate baptism. One of the sisters is a photographer. She took a picture of it. And you can see they all put their arms around each other and they went in the water. And that was their burial. And they came back up and they rejoiced and they sang and they worshipped. They drew a line in the sand and they put a stake in the ground. And this day, we're a part of a new kingdom. We have given our lives to the true Lord of this world. And we have shut the door on the old kingdom and we've brought nothing of the dark hideous things from that kingdom into our world and it was a beautiful thing and the sister did the same thing one sister didn't get baptized she was just confused about the whole thing and then one sister that was the last time we saw her when I brought that message she left it was too costly I am not here to do anything but open up an avenue for you to deal with the Lord. I have not raised one rule among you, nor will I. But if you want to be a people who go on with the Lord, who press on to know Him, to enjoy all that He has in His kingdom, and to be His people fully and completely, sisters and brothers, you will have to deal with these six things. And God will give you mercy. Let us go on to the higher, to the deeper, 
to the more glorious. Let's set aside the trivials and go on to the glories that await us. My word to you is tonight, before you go to bed, look over these six things and ask the Lord, what are you asking of me? And just begin to open your heart toward those things and do the same thing in the morning. And then tomorrow morning, I will meet with you at nine o'clock and we're going to go even further because you haven't heard anything yet. Why? For the Lord, for his kingdom. But Jesus Christ will get what's rightfully his. Let's stand. You've just heard part two of a series of messages that Frank Viola delivered on the gospel of the kingdom. This message is not complete in itself because it's part of a series. To obtain the entire series, go to frankviola.org front slash classes and sign up to the wait list. And you'll be notified when the master class on the kingdom of God will be released.